Maloni, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific, Kotokuingwa Kokoroi Hawkins. Coming up... They started fighting from the government station, slashing them with knives and all this. More than 30 people are dead after politically charged tribal clashes in Papua New Guinea. Also... Normally, this should be a first sitting to be called within a 21 days uh, time frame. Some updates on Vanuatu politics with elected representatives to be sworn in next week and later on. It's a tough gig tonight. Um, they played outstanding. Started well and we just gave them too much ball. Matema Tonga are into the quarterfinals of the Rugby League World Cup after shaking off a determined Wales side in England. More than 30 people have been confirmed dead by a government official following fighting on Kiriwina Island in the Trobrian archipelago of Papua New Guinea. Kiriwina Island area manager Nelson Tauyawada believes a soccer game sparked the fatal incident. He told Finau Funua there are many layers to the rivalry between the two tribes involved, including being politically divided. The first incident that happened, there was one death and one very serious injury. And the person repatriated to provincial hospital, Alotau. And then once that person discharged, as soon as he returned home, he sort of mobilized and he wanted to get revenge. But before that, there was already youth from Boitalu ward. They've been going in the night and destroying the Kawataria people gardens, food gardens. And they continuously destroy food gardens. That is why as soon as the patient arrives, he sort of gave okay to attack the opponents. So this is what happened. And probably that is uh, increasing. Total death is increasing. But yesterday the fight stopped as soon as they realized that it was getting late and they stopped fighting and they attempt to sort themselves out and bury those dead bodies and then, you know, probably, well, I do, I do not know. I'm in town at the moment. I'm in provincial uh, headquarters, but I've been get, getting feedbacks and reports from the district and LLG, this is what happened. So far, more than 30 deaths total, both, uh, b- both communities. Was it a surprise attack? It was uh, not surprise attack. It was not, uh, you, you cannot uh, classify as surprise attack because while the patient was still in the hospital, communities who are right in the district and LLG continue to go and destroy gardens from the opponent, the other community. True frustration of destroying their uh, livelihood because food garden is the means of survival in the village. And then they see that, that if they continue to spoil and destroy their food gardens and food crops, all, all this mean something. So the true frustration, they even come up and told our communities that nobody will take sides to support, but it's between the two tribes. So Kubomas, that's uh, Boitalu Ward against the uh, Kavataria Muloseda Ward. But, you know, this is uh, tradition. Once 
something comes up and it totally can steps into. Situation is out of hand now. Where did the battle take place? Fight took place at the station, government station. That is the battle site previously they proposed because that is the central place where they should, uh, you know, that both enemies come and, you know, fight. But then now, they, Kawatari people uh, were aggressive enough to move the Kuboma ones towards the north side, towards their village, aiming to go and sort of bend the village and destroy the um, people and the household and any other thing they could bump into. What kind of weapons did they use? They were using short crowbars, stones, wooden, metal, bush knife, grass knife, anything that they could uh, in, in, in injured the opponent. And right now, um, what is being done by the authorities, by the police? Um, has anyone been arrested or are they just trying to talk to everyone? The fact of the matter is there's no police personnel on the ground. So what the, what the authorities, even the church ministers, church pastors, and uh, any other leaders on the ground try to arrange uh, the open member, and the open member is in form and is trying his very best to uh, deploy the police personnel to assist in to assist the Kiruna people. In the meantime, I think ten right squad from provincial headquarters have deployed to the district to attend to that. And they've arrived. According to district administrator, John Heepray, he just updated me that police personnel are already on the ground. Uh, he has to brief them first before he could uh, attend to the site. Is the fighting still taking place? Are they still at I think, war? I think, I think, I think at the moment the fighting has left stop and two communities have moved into their respective grounds to sort themselves out first maybe bury their dead dead bodies and other uh, community activities first but you know it is wise that uh, law and order personnel should be on the ground to at least uh, make certain that everything is back to normal and they mustn't do that again. Meanwhile, Lydia Lewis has spoken with a Kiriwina Island resident who was described the situation on the ground as chaotic. He says he's been trying to de-escalate the situation as fears of retaliation surface. They started fighting from the government station and then they moved uh, the Kawataria people uh, towards their uh, villages and then they're slashing them with knives and all this. And then they retaliated. Have you been supporting anyone following the incident in any way? Just uh, uh, giving them some advice on how to, you know, stop the fight and uh, to calm down people from uh, starting that fight again each other. And I said, uh, let's calm that uh, situation down or else we... We face another fight again. So uh, 
like uh, I'm just giving them advice if they can uh, uh, get what I'm trying to talk to them. So, they, they, they will, they will still fight again because uh, a lot of people are uh, dead and, and you know they are planning to retaliate and. and Right now we we are just uh, sorting everything out and then trying to the government authorities also at the scene right now and then trying to stabilize the situation. Who specifically is there? Uh, 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 district government, district administration, uh, uh, provincial government, uh, uh, the provincial government. Have police arrived at the scene yet? They'll get the police from the uh, Alotau, uh, capital of Amin Bay province, and then they they go to the small island of Torian Island. That's where, so we, we're not sure when they, they're going to arrive. Are there any officers on the ground? Yes, yes. Uh, there are a couple of uh, police officers there, but uh, they were outnumbered. Outnumbered at the scene. They were there at the scene. Uh, the problem broke out, and then, but they can't even uh, control it. They they were just all over the place, and then you know, people are just running here and there and trying to uh, position themselves to somewhere comfortable, or you know, they want to hide or something like that, and then uh, they just firing guns and then everywhere just chaos how many people are injured uh quite a lot of them um uh, i've never been to the hospital to co- confirm that but i'll try get that number so i'll brief you a police spokesperson says they do not have boots from the national headquarters on the ground just yet but are aware of the incident and will update the media with more details as they come to hand Vanuatu's elected representatives are to be sworn in next week. The Office of the Clerk of Parliament says the first sitting of the 13th Parliament of the Republic of Vanuatu has been served today to take place from Friday, November the 4th at 8.30am to Monday, November the 7th. A spokesperson for the office, Maxime Banga, told Lydia Lewis the session is to be facilitated by the Chief Justice. In the standing orders of Parliament, uh, after the polling day, Normally, there should be a first sitting to be called within a 21 days uh, time frame. So uh, the polling day was on the 13th of October, and uh, now we are in the uh, 21 days, which now we have the official result, which was gazetted yesterday, dated the 24th of October, and we will be sending out the summon by today, calling it 10 days prior to the opening of the first sitting. So that's when the MPs, the elected, they called the elected representative at the time yet. So they will be coming in and then they will take their oath and signing in the role of members of parliament. Once signing, uh, taking the oath and signing the role, after that they're going to proceed on 
There will be two other agendas after that. There will be elections of the speaker and deputy speakers, and then there will be the election of the prime minister. What date has been confirmed? Okay, so we we got the other information here from the clerk saying it will be the actually the fourth, the fourth of November. So because it would be the ten days or more. The time for the notice to be sent out. So now uh, I got the confirmation from the clerk saying it will be the f- the fourth, which is Friday next week. And just before this interview, we were told the first was confirmed. Has that date changed? Yes, it has changed just now. Yes, it will be definitely it will be the fourth. What comes after the election of the speaker and the prime minister? Uh, maybe we're gonna come. Uh, there will be another uh, sitting on Monday, which will be for parliamentary committees. They will be they will be established. And who's going to take that first session? So, since we don't have any uh, uh, MPs, which will be not swearing in yet, so that will be this Chief Justice, which will he will uh, facilitate the taking of vote and signing the roll for the members. Meanwhile, a high number of independents and single MP political parties in Vanuatu is adding to the uncertainty around the formation of the country's next coalition government. So far, two groupings have emerged, one loosely organised around the former government bloc and the other around the former opposition group. Meanwhile, the voter turnout to last week's snap election was 48.45%. That's less than the 56.51% turnout in 2020, and even more so than the 85.78% participation for the 2018 elections. Joining me from the capital, Port Vila, to talk more about some of these numbers is journalist Dan McGarry. Thank you, Tomas, for Sidan Storimowete Mifala Low Pacific Waves, Dan. Let's start with the voter turnout. What are your thoughts about what on paper reads like a downwards trend for voter participation in Vanuatu's elections? I'd be a little bit hesitant. Uh, We know for a fact that the voter role is actually quite inflated by people who are no longer living in their their respective constituencies and uh, people who have passed away. Um, There hasn't been a proper cull of the voting role in over a decade, I believe. And so uh, it, it... inflates the apparent number of people who are qualified to vote. This is mitigated, though, by the, by the returning officers, actually, who uh, have a very robust process for making sure that there is no voter fraud happening, that we don't see you know, ghosts voting or dead people voting, as you know, is often the case. Um, so we can be confident with the integrity of the result. I don't think we can be confident with the actual voter turnout as a percentage of the voter roll. I wouldn't rely too heavily on that number. I've seen uh, a total number of votes uh, for winning candidates of just about 65,000, 64,699. That is a reasonable number when you consider the fact that there were a great many candidates who got, you know, a little, a dozen votes here, a few hundred votes there. And out of a total population of 300,000 people, men, women, and children, um, 65,000 is not 
unrepresentative of the popular will. So I think it's safe to say that democracy is intact in Vanuatu. Now, turning to the political parties, um, we have VP and UMP, the the largest takers here. What are your thoughts on the breakdown of the vote distribution and, and MPs that are coming into this parliament? Well, the major parties actually did quite well in managing their own voter numbers. In other words, leveraging the level of support that they had to get the maximum number of votes, of MPs, pardon me, into Parliament. Um, VP has seven seats and uh, won that with about 8,000 votes in total. It's a little over 1,000 per person. The UNP had the same number of seats, but had about 9,000 votes. So they kind of overcompensated. They got a few more votes per MP. But these are largely representative of the, you know, the kind of writings that they were standing up their candidates in. Other parties were not so successful, however, um, in getting the numbers for leveraging the, the number of supporters for their own vote. Um, RMC, for example, had nearly 8,000 votes in total and came away with a total of five seats rather than the, the seven, for example, that VP got. Uh, so they were less successful at turning out voters and turning that voter turnout into the number of MPs elected. The other big uh, story coming out of this year's election is the fall in numbers from the Leaders' Party of Vanuatu and, and Grand and Justice, which uh, used to have, you know, I think it was eight and nine MPs, respectively. So, um, you know, they're in the thick of it. Uh, they are very much contenders within the, uh, you know, the, part, the horse trading that, that leads up to the election of the prime minister. But um, they are a, a far distance from their glory days of 2016 and 2020. Now, uh, speaking of the, the coalition forming, we've, we've so far heard of two sort of camps. One uh, formed around the sort of former opposition and the other sort of formed around the caretaker uh, government group. Um, the issue, though, um, it seems there's so many micro parties and independents. That's the, 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 the joy and the and the horror, if you will, of Vanuatu's uh, electoral process. We have a very large number of what we jokingly call one-man bands, that is, you know, parties with one elected MP and, of course, outright independent MPs. This year, we've got 11. So they are actually the largest block, if you could take them as a block, in Parliament at this moment. But sadly, what happens is that as the various, the vying camps, and there are two of them right now that are that are dominant in uh, in here in Port Vila. The dominant camps, as they get closer and closer to 27, that's the magic number for a, a majority, and they start having to pay a higher and higher price for each new MP that they pull away. Um, so it becomes a bit of a bidding war. It's a seller's market for these independent MPs. They can actually. Um, demand perks and plums that are far in excess of what the party members themselves, you know, the stalwart, um, reliable party members might be able to ask. And so the horse trading is going to go on right down to the last minute, I believe, until it's very clear that somebody's got it all locked up. And the moment they have it locked up, watch for all those MPs, all those independent MPs to start shopping to the other side to see if they can't get a better last minute deal. So nothing is over until it's over. You know, I generally don't uh, expect to, you know, I don't make any uh, predictions about the outcome until the MPs are filing into the chamber to elect the, the prime minister. 
Um, now, looking at potential prime minister candidates, there's quite a bunch in the in this slot. On on the one side, obviously, Lothman coming in as an incumbent caretaker prime minister, um, uh, although experiencing some loss in support, just triggering this snap election. And then on the on the other side, there's a, a whole roster of personalities. Uh, we've got Kilman, we've got Salwai. Uh, Reagan Vanu's in that group. So, so how do you see this playing out in terms of who gets what? Well, look, everybody wants to be prime minister, and there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people throwing their hat into the ring. I think uh, among the front runners are the ones who are most able to manage this process. So, even somebody who commands a great deal of support going into the negotiation isn't necessarily the one who comes out with it. Um, VP have uh, proved extremely able in this election. I think they were probably the most ready. And I would construe Bob Laughman's slight diminishment in, in votes as an effort by VP to actually bring in more candidates in their st- southern stronghold. So they actually got three candidates through um, down in the south. And that's you know, that's a considerable achievement. So I wouldn't count Bob Lofman out, regardless of what his vote numbers look like. I think um, the uh, UNP are going to have a very compelling argument for the uh, the head of the pig, as they call it here, the prime ministership. If that happens, then it will be Ishmael Kasakau, who will likely uh, want to push the others aside and take that uh, position. Um I think that having Ishmael Kasiko as a as a prime minister will probably be something that uh, the you know the other camp could work against. Um, Ishmael is is remarkably he's quite well known for being uh, a very strong leader, and sometimes in Melanesia the strong leader is the one that people run from rather than to. So look, you know, but you can't count out the old stalwarts. You know, Charlo Salwai. Uh, who has been convicted and later pardoned by the president, um, is a remarkable negotiator and uh, is uh, quite capable. Likewise, Sato Kilman has parlayed small numbers of of, uh, party members into the prime ministership in the past. And uh, I think he's more than capable of doing it again this time. He's one of the canniest political operators I've seen in this generation. It ain't over until they walk into the uh, parliamentary chamber, and uh, I won't make any speculation or, or prediction until that day. Thank you, Tomas Wantok. Thank you for your time. I will be watching very closely, and uh, most likely we'll come back to you at some stage in this process again. Fantastic. Great to talk. Nukualofa was alive with celebration today following Mate Matonga's 32-6 win over Wales at the Rugby League World Cup this morning. The victory guarantees a quarter-final spot. However, there is unease among Tongan fans about the performance of their team. Mate Matonga survived an upset scare from Papua New Guinea earlier, escaping with a flukish try in the final minutes to narrowly defeat the Kumuls by 24-18. And even the Welsh put on a staunch display, scoring the first try of their game against MMT and leading for most of the first half. Man of the match, Kion Koloa Matangi, conceded they've got a lot to work on and pressure is mounting from their head coach Christian Wolfe to fulfil the high expectations of Tonga's fanatical supporters. It's a tough kick tonight. Um, they played outstanding. Started well, and we just gave them too much ball. And they, yeah, we just um, didn't respect the ball t- um, in the first half. And 
um, led to their first try. So um, we know what we need to fix and just our individual areas that we need to work on for sure. RNZ Pacific reporter Finau Funua sat down with Exeta Lofi, the chair of the Mate Matonga New Zealand fan club, to talk about the results. Were you satisfied? I, I mean, most people expected a higher score, but how did you feel about the, the game? Could you describe the general fan reaction to this um, victory? Yeah, we might be surprised, but at the same time, I think we, we've had... Um in 2017. There's a qualification round with today's game. That's a big achievement for the MMT just to um, get into the playoffs and the uh, and the um, you know the business end of the tournament. Despite the win, Matamatonga have they struggled in both of their games. They it could have ended with a draw against Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea, yeah. And Wales led for most of the first half. Do you think they could do better? I know it's frustrating for us because we know the potential that this team is capable of. But I think what Christian has done, he's been there. Uh, you know, it's not his first World Cup. He's been with the team for, for a number of years now. He knows that the, the World it's a, it's a different competition. You know, you have to manage your players. You've got to manage injuries. So there's a lot of things that I'm thinking. But not only that, he's got a, he's got a really uh, difficult situation with, you know, the number of... Uh, profile players who have put their hand up to play for Tonga. And I think we saw that. I think there were six players uh, or six changes from the game against Papua New Guinea. Um, you know, he's trying to get combinations working, but at the same time, uh, you know, making sure that the, the players um, don't do any silly things, give away penalties or, or even worse, you know, uh, get sent off and get uh, out um, excluded from any of the upcoming games. I think they can. I think we've seen some improvement. It's quite frustrating for us because we we are thinking big scores and everybody's talking about big scores. Uh, but I think the game against um, the Cooks with the return of the captain should give us a fair indication on uh, the sort of improvement uh, that we can see. We, we preferred a, a much higher score, uh, but at the end of the day, they, they kept them a scoreless in the second half. Defensively, it's probably where... We will win World Cups. It happened in 2019, uh, in, you know, and it, ha- it happened with the, uh, uh, the Kangaroos and the British Lions. It was our defensive line and uh, defensive game that uh, you know that got us the victory. So it's um, you know to keep um, uh, Wales scoreless in, in the second half probably can give us some comfort that they got that while they're working through their combination because everybody can attack as you can see. Even smaller teams manage to cross the line. I'm confident they will. Uh, and I'm also confident that, um, uh, you know, the Christian and his staff are, are working this with, you know, with the big goal, and that is the ultimate, and that is to get into the final and obviously try and take the, uh, you know, the, uh, the the World Cup for this tournament here. I, I got to ask because I've seen on social media how Matamad, they've lost a few players due to injury, some really big names like Katoni Staggs, the Bonilla. We, we even got Silva. Um, what I'm probably uh, thinking of as um, as a coach and, and knowing how Christian works, he wants to make sure that the players that they do what it takes to get the the uh, the win, but also uh, try and avoid sort of pushing the players sort of beyond their limits. That uh, you know a chance of getting uh, injured might just temper their uh, you know potential to. Um, you know, to take out what they uh, said there for the tournament. So 
Uh, other teams have had injuries. But, you know, yeah, they're, they're the key players. Koton is there. We all know those players, what they're capable of. They've shown that in the world, um, especially in the recent games against the Kangaroos and New Zealand. There's enough depth now with the, um, with the Tongan squad uh, to be able to, you know, to fill in those, uh, those positions there. Thank you so much, Exeter. And hopefully um, the team um, does well. Then ho- hopefully everybody keeps safe, especially uh, uh, with the fans in, uh, you know, they call Orahu Little Nuku Alafa. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I see a lot of the uh, other Pacific Islands are catching on to, uh, you know, to the vibe uh, and the spirit of supporting their nations. I see the Samoans out in in Mangere. Uh The Tongans have taken over Orahu. And also, you know, Cook Islands, you know, they're coming out with their flags. Um, so, you know, hopefully it doesn't get any, uh, uh, you know, they get too excited with them, get carried away and get caught up, uh, you know, with the, uh, with the law. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Fakafitai, tofani.